Whether you're a first-time poultry owner or looking to expand your flock, you can always use some helpful advice. Blaine's Farm and Fleet's got you covered. With great info and products to help raise healthy birds in-store or online at farmandfleet.com forward slash chickdays. The Home Field Apparel. And for all the college sports gear, be sure to check out homefieldapparel.com. Did the chickens come home to roost last night? We'll find out. This is the Midwest Farm Report. Welcome and happy Thursday. I'm Charity Seebecker. Happy to be with you this morning. Today will be partly cloudy with a high of 29. Tomorrow will be mostly cloudy with a high of 34. And Saturday, we can expect some partly cloudy skies and 35 degrees. Stu Muck, our ag meteorologist, will have more weather details coming your way a little later. We also hear from Lena Bioni of New Holland about a new tractor that's coming to the market and you won't be looking under its hood. I'll have a story of a five-generation legacy of beekeeping that traveled continents from Armenia to the west coast of the United States. Kathleen Wolfley, agriculture broker with EverAg, will be joining us later as well. Stick around. Now here's a fun fact for you. Did you know that the average adult has anywhere from 2,000 to 10,000 taste buds? Yeah. Here's the sad part, though. We lose taste buds as we get older. What? Don't you want every one of those taste buds to be happy? Well, I've got an answer. Bavaria Sausage. Yep, fabulous Farm Bay Pam Yankee here for Bavaria Sausage. At the corner of Nesbitt Road, Fitchrona Road in Fitchburg, open Monday through Friday, 9 until 5, or always open online, BavariaSausage.com. I'll tell you what, every one of those taste buds in your mouth will jump for joy when they see what's coming their way. The authentic old world flavor of their brats. What about all of the artisan cheeses and all of the unique flavors in between? Don't let one of those taste buds be disappointed. Head on over, BavariaSausage.com or the corner of Nesbitt Road, Fitchrona Road in Fitchburg. Tell them the farm babe sent you. There's a new tractor coming to market, but you won't be taking a look under the hood. And that's because the hood doesn't open. And even if it did, there's not much to see. Just batteries and an electric motor. I'm Stephanie Hoff from the southern end of the world's longest barn in Madison. And this is just one of the differences between your traditional diesel utility tractor and the new all-electric tractor with autonomous features by New Holland. Lena Bioni is the product marketing manager for this tractor coming to market in 2024. We talk about where she sees electric serving farmers best and where it has limitations. But first, she tells me what demand looks like among farmer customers for electric. It definitely depends on the farmer, of where they're at and how their infrastructure and if they're prepared or even able to run an electric vehicle on the farm. We're seeing a high demand from uh, specialty agriculture on the West Coast. They have an immense amount of subsidies and funds available to them to supply alternative fuel sources um, on their farm. We're also seeing a lot of municipalities that are very interested in the technology, as well as some mixed farm and equine operations as well. Um, it's a tractor of their size, and they really like the idea of being uh, more energy independent and also that reduced cost of ownership. And New Holland will be the first to say it. Electric tractors, they're not meant for everything because it may not be feasible in some areas. But where do they belong? 
Yeah, they definitely would belong in any of our segments that are currently using a utility tractor. If you're using a utility tractor today, most of the time they're spent um, with a loader on them and they're around the barnyard doing chores of that nature. So um, that makes a lot of sense because that's where our power source is. When they're not going out into the field and running for um, days on end in order to get crop planted or harvested, when they're going back to the barn each night, that's a, a prime candidate for an electric vehicle because they're able to recharge um, and be able to save money that way. And Lino, you and I are talking in Wisconsin where your message was also that dairy farmers would greatly benefit from electric tractors, but, but tell us why. So the dairy operations would benefit because they have a fuel source right there on the farm um, with methane. So if they're able to capture that methane from the cattle and then have a digester and scrub that methane and turn it into an electric source, uh, some of them right now are doing that and selling it back to the grid um, or back to the electric companies. They have that source right there, that energy already, and they can be powering their electric tractors at um, virtually no cost once they've installed that infrastructure. Lena says the industry's first ever electric tractor with autonomous features also adds a safety element to the farm that wasn't there before. It's a lot of safety that can go in when you have an electric vehicle because of the way that the technology is developed. Uh, multiple cameras and sensors in the roofline and around the tractor are able to detect when objects or other people come within the tractor's um, safe zone and shut it down. For example, around the PTO, which we know is a, definitely a, a major source um, of injuries around the farm. With PTO guardrail, it's able to identify when something is coming into that, um, into that area, and then it's going to shut down the PTO so that way there's no injury. And then I'd say probably the third largest benefit you outlined for us today was that there are cost savings in the right conditions. Yeah, it definitely would depend on what time you're um, getting your energy. If you have fluctuating energy rates, um, any of those off-peak times that you're able to charge the tractor are going to definitely show you some savings, as well as the savings of no longer needing to purchase diesel fuel, diesel exhaust fluid, engine oils, engine filters, uh, any of those consumables that we would have with an internal combustion engine. Now, maintenance has got to look a lot different because you're no longer changing the oil, changing filters. What do you see when you open up the hood, and what kind of maintenance do you have to do? It's actually funny that in production, there will be no hood to even open on the electric tractor. Um, there's nothing to see, an electric motor and some batteries. There will be a screen and a filter uh, on top that you'll be able to clean out, that, that just an air filter. Um, so we no longer need to access the engine since there isn't one. So no engine oil to change every 600 hours. However, we still have hydraulic oil, so that will still require to be uh, changed every 1,200 hours. How about horsepower? Are we still getting the same amount of power in these electric tractors as we would in your traditional machine? Yeah, clean energy definitely does not mean less power. We're able to achieve the same PTO horsepower of 65, the same that we would expect out of its diesel counterpart. So anything that you do with a diesel tractor today, you could do with the T4 electric power. We had a lot of questions today from farmers in the audience about runtime and battery power. And you had some, some good advice on some of the logistics you have to think about when you purchase your battery charger. So I was wondering if you could explain to us what people should be thinking about when it comes to the conduit to, to charge up their tractor. 
Absolutely. So these chargers are the universal chargers that we would see across North America for any electric vehicle that may be on the road. So if you have a personal EV, then you no longer need to purchase an additional charger. You can use the same exact charger. Um, however, if you're new to the market for electric vehicles and you're shopping for your first charger, there's a variety that can range from plug and play options that will run off your existing electricity that you have at your farm or your home all the way up through DC fast chargers, which um, are able to recharge the tractor in just one hour. The cost is gonna range depending on the type of investment that, that you wanna make in this and, and when you plan on charging your tractor. That's correct. You can uh, really choose which level you want to be at um, with an option to fit multiple budgets. And then you have to just look at how your infrastructure is prepared and if there are additional costs associated with bringing in more infrastructure to run the chargers. New Holland's T4 electric tractor will be the first ever electric tractor with autonomous features. Lena had brought up a fun scenario about how autonomy works with equipment. Think about driving up to the cattle gate with a hay bale. You get out of the tractor, you go open the gate, you get back into the tractor, you drive through the gate, you get out of the tractor, closing the gate, all while the cows know you're coming and they're trying to walk out. Well, now tractor technology has come so far where it will follow you through the gate. Yeah, exactly. So with the um, some of that technology that comes with electric vehicles is the ability for autonomous features. So we're now able to engage the tractor to go forward and reverse electronically, and that's what assists us in the autonomous features. So like you mentioned, in follow me mode, the tractor will actually follow you where you go. Um, it knows how to sense where you're at and keep a safe distance from you that if you were to fall down or um, you stop moving, the tractor will recognize that and it will stop moving as well. We used the example of going through a gate and when you get out of the tractor, open the gate, walk through it, the tractor will follow you stop, you can go back, shut the gate, and go on your way. All based on um, when it identifies that you are within or without of its recognizable zone. Um, the cameras in the roofline also have lights on them, so you have to be in a recognizable area for the tractor to be able to follow you. Um, there are still some ongoing points of clarification as to um, what all those safety points would be. A remote has been talked about, uh, an app on the phone, still some of those things that need to be completely um, identified before we go to market um, and have these with customers. You're still in the, the newest stages, this product line is just coming out. Do you anticipate that there may be road bumps along the way that you'll have to address before this is ready to go for the masses? Sure. So we are um, taking a very careful approach with this across North America. We'll only have 10 dealers who have access to this product out of our entire dealer network. Um, that's for a few reasons. We want to make sure that our dealer personnel are very well trained with this product as well. It's much different from the diesel tractor that they're used to be working on. So we want to make sure that they're very well trained and they're equipped to be able to uh, work on these tractors specifically. And the same would go with our customers. We want to make sure that they're having a really good experience with it. Any questions that they have that we're able to um, to answer those or solve those that we're not leaving them um, with questions because it is for sure as big of a change from the horse to the car as we're having right now with the change from diesel to electric. And final question, what regions uh, are you starting out with in the U.S. and why? 
We're starting out on the West Coast um, with the majority of our dealerships because they have a really big demand for alternative energy sources. They've got the most amount of subsidies and federal government dollars to offset the cost of um, the initial startup, whether it be the cost of the tractor and also the charger. There's money available for both of those. And um, they have the customers that are interested in the technology as well. Now, I won't take away from anywhere else in the United States because we're also looking um, in some Mid-South regions that we'll be working in, the Pacific Northwest, um, the Northeast, the North Central. We're basically going uh, to multiple geographies all across North America. Lena Bioni taking some time with us. She's the product marketing manager for the all-electric T4 tractor by New Holland. I did ask her about the cold weather and if that could be problematic, especially for farmers here in Wisconsin. She says the battery have what's called thermal management, meaning they are keeping themselves not too hot and not too cold. The catch is that that takes power, of course, so your runtime capability may vary depending on the weather. From the southern end of the world's longest barn in Madison, I'm Stephanie Hoff. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. Innovation Livestock producers rely on BioVet for microbial and nutritional support. Keeping livestock eating and productive. Make BioVet your trusted partner for your livestock health since 1991. Learn more at BioDenseVet.com. Innovation, that's BioVet. Trusting someone else enough to pack up your stuff for the big move usually doesn't happen. Our employees are like family and have been with us for a very long time. You can feel comfortable with them packing things up and moving them. This is Brenda from Mad City Moving. We call that the all in the family move. Mad City Moving dominates any move. Their crew will handle your things well, like your things deserve to be handled. Online at madcitymoving.com. Mad City Moving. You haven't seen moves like these before. Huh. Nice. Hardwood floor. Or is it? Sounds like a floor. It's not squishy. That's good. Floors aren't supposed to squish. Goes wall to wall, like good floors do. And I'm walking all over it. Usually, a dead giveaway that it's a floor. But it's not a floor. This is a mattress. Charlie Heidel's for 52 days. People like Charlie are scattered all across Dane County. And because the need is there, so are we. This year, we'll supply nearly $400,000 in bedding, furniture, clothing, and household items to people like Charlie. Just one part of the more than $1.4 million in food, shelter, and other goods and services we provide. We're St. Vincent de Paul, helping our neighbors in need. Bringing home the bacon. Literally, this is the Midwest Farm Report. Welcome, everybody. Welcome back on a Thursday morning. I'm Charity Seebecker in for Farm Director Pam Yonke, and it is time for your egg weather update with our egg meteorologist, Stu Muck. Stu, I kind of mentioned to you a little bit earlier, I just got back from vacation from Florida this week, and 
I can't say I'm enjoying the cold going from the beach weather to this, although it has been pretty mild. But what's it looking like for the days ahead? Well, it's still going to be fairly mild, Charity. Maybe not as nice as it was to be above normal, you know, early last, early this week or even into last week. Those temperatures pushing up in the 40s and the like, more likely in the 30s around here right now. But keep in mind across the southern almost half of Wisconsin, 28 degrees is a normal daytime high and low teens, the nighttime low. That's where we should be at this time of the year. So here we are still on the above normal side. And that pattern is going to try its best to stick around as we head into the weekend. There's a high pressure system just trying to slide on into our part of the country today. And that will break away at some of that cloud mass we've been dealing with. We've had a few cloudy days going now. And there may very well be just a little better chance that the sun could peek through a little bit here today and maybe around into tomorrow. But things start to change. In fact, I expect an Alberta clipper type low, a little fast moving weak system out of Canada to try and make an approach as we move toward Friday. And that may account for some very scattered light snow if not even late Friday, more likely on towards Saturday. I don't expect it to amount to much, maybe a dusting here and there. And that clipper slides through, keeping those temperatures a little closer to normal through the weekend. And we've all been talking about it, the possibility of a stronger storm into early next week toward late Monday or on toward Tuesday. I'll kind of say the same thing we're hearing all over. It's a bit early to call. There are a couple of different camps here. One saying the system could head right up and bring some fairly good snow into southern Wisconsin. And the other saying it may stay off to our southeast, and there may only be some lighter snow around here. Right now, I think we have to kind of wait and see how this thing really does develop. I get the feeling that southeast track may be one that's a little more followable. I'll have forecast details right after this. Innovation, that's BioVet. Livestock producers rely on BioVet for microbial and nutritional support. Keeping livestock eating and productive. Make BioVet your trusted partner for your livestock health since 1991. Learn more at BioDanceVet.com. Innovation, that's BioVet. Welcome back. Charity here with our ag meteorologist, Stu Muck, for your Thursday morning. Stu, how about that weather forecast? All right, Charity, let's talk of more of a partly sunny day today. Some sunshine, yes, there'll be some clouds, but it ought to be a little brighter, sounding good. And I expect to be in the very low 30s as winds will become southwest today about 5. Overnight, partly cloudy, that does allow it to drop a bit more in the lower 20s. Still above normal for the nighttime lows. The southwest winds about 5. Skies become mostly cloudy Friday, and we push it closer to the mid-30s, 34, 35, southwest winds 5 to 10. And then that little clipper, a chance for some light snow late Friday night in the west into Saturday in the south. I'd expect mostly cloudy skies, mid-30s on Saturday. East winds about 5 become a bit variable. Very light snow, Charity, could take us out of the weekend, at least into Sunday. And then we have to get ready for toward Tuesday. Things will be changing. So it sounds like we should take advantage of the weather we're getting right now. Even though it might be cold, it's definitely still better than what it usually is. That's it. If you've got something you want to get done outside yet, I've got a few projects that I've been making progress with. This weekend's got to get done as well. 
Yeah, I know. I still have some Christmas decorations up. I know that's probably not the best thing considering the Christmas trees can cause some fire hazards. So don't worry, everybody. I'm I'm working on it. It'll be down soon. But we also have the Christmas lights around the house. And it's just after coming back from vacation, I think I'm still on vacation mode. You don't want to necessarily have to go out there, but it sounds like this is the time to do it. Uh, this would be the time. Don't wait another week. All right. Once again, that is Stu Muck, your ag meteorologist with us on this Thursday morning. Stick around if we have more ag biz news coming your way. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. Don't go through another year with that awful joint pain. Call QC Kinetics right now and make 2024 the year you are back to living normal life again. QC Kinetics can give you your life back. They're the nation's leader in regenerative medicine. These are all natural treatments that can repair and restore that damaged tissue, giving you pain-free movement again. QC Kinetics has tens of thousands of satisfied patients around the country. People who had knee pain, back pain, shoulder pain, who were able to get lasting relief with no surgery, no drugs, no downtime. If you have pain from an old injury or pain associated with arthritis, you need to check this out. The future of medicine is here. Regenerative treatments from QC Kinetics. Make the call now so you can get the most out of 2024. Get to doing what you love. And don't forget, you can use your HSA and FSA funds. Call QC Kinetics for a free consultation. 608-319-1750. 608-319-1750. Again, that's 608-319-1750 for QC Kinetics. Goodman's Jewelers has been providing a sparkle to Madison since 1933. That's a lot of great memories. John Hayes for Goodman's Jewelers. We've been caring for generations of customers, and during that time, our strengths have been trust, service, and selection. Those traits are who we are, and that will never change. Goodman's Jewelers, a destination worth reaching. 220 State Street, goodmansjewelers.com. The best is at Goodman's. The nightmare of working with some contractors is much like being on a bad date. They totally wreck your bathroom, swindle you out of a ton of money, then disappear into the dark of night. Swipe left. Actuate Improvement is a full-service design and remodeling company who completes the job as promised, is cost-conscious, then leaves you with a sweet thank-you note. Swipe right, and let's get the conversation started with a free consultation. ActuateLLC.com. Design. Create. Actuate. Matthew. Huh? Oh, sorry. It's okay. I just need you to listen to me. I know that a lot of times, Mom, it might not seem like I'm listening to you, but I am. I hear you, and what you say really does matter to me. I mean, let's be honest. No kid likes rules, but I get why we have them. I hear you, and I know it's because you care. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey. Want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thanks, Mom, for never giving up and always being my biggest fan. Thank you for letting me know what you expect so I can try to meet your expectations. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. You can't change the price of gas or groceries but you can change the amount of your energy bill. Benjamin Plumbing is now a certified dealer of Renai tankless water heaters. The number one tankless water heater in North America. 
They're up to 40% more energy efficient and provide endless hot water. Stop wasting tons of energy keeping 40, 50, even 75 gallons of water hot day and night with your old water heater. Call Benjamin Plumbing today and learn more about the new state-of-the-art, energy-efficient Renai tankless water heaters, including a factory extended warranty. Save money with endless hot water for your home with a new Renai water heater from Benjamin Plumbing. Hi, Dale Benjamin with Benjamin Plumbing. When we say your plumbing problem is fixed, we mean it. No excuses, I guarantee it. Contact Benjamin Plumbing at BenjaminPlumbing.com. Now you've got a friend in the plumbing business. Benjamin Plumbing. Huh, nice. Hardwood floor. Or is it? Sounds like a floor. It's not squishy. That's good. Floors aren't supposed to squish. Goes wall to wall, like good floors do. And I'm walking all over it. Usually, a dead giveaway that it's a floor. But it's not a floor. This is a mattress. Charlie Heidel's for 52 days. People like Charlie are scattered all across Dane County. And because the need is there, so are we. This year, we'll supply nearly $400,000 in bedding, furniture, clothing, and household items to people like Charlie. Just one part of the more than $1.4 million in food, shelter, and other goods and services we provide. We're St. Vincent de Paul, helping our neighbors in need. Something else has taken over Twitter now, and it's 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 been like this all year. There's this faction of um, hardcore Asijanites. These are people that love Connor Asijan no matter what. And they're out there in full force, letting it very vocal. Uh, Rob Reichel, our Packers insider, is one of them. He tweeted this out. Uh, he quote tweeted uh, a tweet. This tweet said, Connor Asijan should just enter the portal now. Sure. Badger's in dire need of a boost offensively, and he sits on the bench. Robbie quote tweeted it and said, craziest thing I've seen in my 35 years as a diehard Badger basketball fan, from all Big Ten freshman team to getting the same number of minutes as guards kid. WTF. Well, he's shooting 23% from the field, the Badger, and he can't play defense. And by the way, the Badgers scored 83 points last night. Yeah. 83 they points. A, they need a big offensive boost when in 10 of their 13 games, they've scored 70-plus points. Uh, have you guys noticed that once a siege has stepped on the scene, there's been this faction of Asijanites that are like, just enter the transfer portal now. You need to go somewhere else where they can appreciate your talents. It's like, what's going on? What? Is he huh? going to go to, like, Grinnell and just be on that team that doesn't play defense and shoots the lights out because Val- it's statistically better to Valpo. do that? <laughs> like, where all the Badgers go, Valpo. I mean, we haven't seen his defense come along. It was hurt, know, too. This we know, yeah, he had his back compressed. Uh, we know in this system you have to earn your minutes through playing defense. And, and he's been forcing a shot this year, too. So. Yeah, he's shooting 23%. Like, what offense is coming from 23%? <laughs> and this Badger team is deep this year, too. I and, mean, you're, and, and Johnny Blackwell? Yeah. What are you going to take minutes from him? You can't come back out and be like, well, he needs to shoot out of it. You're deep enough. We don't have to let people shoot out of their slumps anymore. So Gardo was asked. Now, this has been a topic that, you know, Gardo's been asked about now a couple times this season. Gardo was asked on not playing a siege in, uh the pride of Mineral Point, Isaac Lindsay, and uh, Marcus Ilver. Here's Gardo. And I got two or three guys sitting on the bench that I didn't get in the game that I wanted to. And it wasn't anything that the Connor or Marcus Silver has been practicing terrifically. I've been pulling him over. Connor, obviously, 
has practiced much better and I think is really trending in a good way. And um, and Isaac Lindsay has done a lot of good things. So I told them after the game, this is not indicative of anything you have or haven't done. It's a blessing and a curse to be a very, very deep team. I was getting things mixed up. He's shooting 33% from the field, 25% from the three. Yeah, you're a, you're a dyslexic speed reader today, yep. RJ. It's all good. But just looking at the team where he came in and, and did have some big games, did have to carry the load when it came to the scoring thing, uh, scoring. And you look at the difference, though. A.J. Store is a transfer that transfers in from St. John's. He's been your leading scorer in more games than not. He's yeah. a guy that consistently scores. He's clearly more athletic than Connor Asijin. So that guy was thrusted into the starting lineup. And then you talk about just having a Johnny Blackwell who plays the same position as you mm-hmm. or, or is a guard that has been as good defensively as he is for a 19-year-old kid. He's played as well offensively. And then kind of like what Guard just said there, you had Isaac Lindsley uh, that's been there for a, a minute. You have Nolan Winter, who's a freshman this year that's able to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kamari McGee is still there. I mean, there's a lot of guys that have the ability to be at least somewhat serviceable in a smaller role in college, Division One college basketball. And to RJ's point, when you when you can't play defense and you're not shooting the ball well and you had a back injury and you shooting the basketball is a big part of what you do, I would say that I would have expected him to play more against the Chicago States of the world right. against some of those lesser teams. But right now when you got, you get into the big 10 and your team is, and this is the other part, Wisconsin's playing well. They, they started are. the season one and two. They're nine and one, their last 10. Yep. Yeah. Like if they weren't nine and one and say they were, I don't know, like three and six, I think I could understand more people clamoring for Connor Asijin, maybe to shake it up, see what you can do, see if, if you can't get the, him to have a big night off the bench or maybe even thrust him in the, but, but they're not. They're nine and one in their last 10. They're 10 and three overall. They're ranked in the top 25. Yep. Uh, it's. It's hard to argue for more minutes in a game against Iowa. But I will say I did expect him to play more against the Chicago States, more against some of those. Hey, he covered for – he has the cover for Chicago yeah, State. Right? But that's it. That's the thing. He got in and played like 10 minutes. That would have been a game where, you know, maybe maybe an A.J. Store didn't have to play 35 minutes. He could have been good with 25 minutes. Yeah. And But – I mean, it is what it is. I I have no issues with how no. playing time has been. But there's a faction that is. We survived rusty playgrounds, no helmets, and drinking from the hose. This is the Midwest Farm Report. Welcome back. I'm Charity Seebecker. Happy to be with you on this Thursday morning. Honey Acres has redefined the landscape of honey production by creating value-added products. Their journey began with a five-generation legacy of beekeeping that traveled continents from Armenia to the west coast of the United States. And Nerik Gabrielian, the chief executive officer at Honey Acres, explains more about their business and how they use honey to make chocolate honey patties and honey spreads. I grew up in the honey industry, um, going going way back way um, to the beginning. I immigrated here from Armenia, actually, where my family was uh, five generations of beekeepers. And when we came to America, uh, to the West Coast, uh, my father found a really good employment in beekeeping, where he became like the master beekeeper for an operation where he grew from, you know, 5,000 colonies up to about 
12,000 colonies over the course of a couple of years. They were doing honey production and also in California, of course, pollination. So I, I was very deeply involved in like honey and bees were a part of my life from a very young age. Can you tell me a little bit more now about Honey Acres? Take me through how you got started and what all you have. My story starts out in California, but we're in Wisconsin, right? So how did I end up out here? Um, over the course of my dad's uh, involvement in beekeeping and things like that, he was out in uh, Illinois uh, doing some work with an engineering company, um, building some custom equipment, uh, and he ended up meeting the previous owners of Honey Acres. And at the time, you know, they were going through some some difficult times with the involvement of a lot of foreign honey being imported. Uh, Honey Acres was selling what amounted to basically pretty much just bottled honey, which was becoming very competitive at the time, and they weren't doing very well as a company. So when my dad saw the potential of the business, it was a beautiful, beautiful property, 40 acres, 40,000 square foot facility. Um, he just really latched on and was like, we got to we gotta try to save this place. And um, over the course of a couple of years, Honey Acres made a pivot away from honey as a commodity in a jar, which is very difficult to sell on a national level, to producing value-added products. So in, in particular, our dark chocolate honey patties. Which, which consist of basically pure honey, pure chocolate, and peppermint oil was the first flavor. Um, and we brought those back. We managed to automate the process over the course of a couple of years, and, and that really ended up saving the business, and that's how I ended up in Wisconsin. What role do honey peckers play in the industry? Uh, when I got involved at Honey Acres, I, I noticed that there was a little bit of animosity between beekeepers and honey packers because beekeepers wanted to get the most for their honey and be and, and packers wanted to pay the least for it so we've gone about our purchasing very differently in that we're um we're building relationships with beekeepers and we're acting uh we're acting as a funnel to funnel money into wisconsin to wisconsin beekeepers because we're selling value-added products that no other beekeeper in the country is making or selling. And we're we're using Wisconsin honey, we're purchasing Wisconsin honey at fair prices, we're building relationships, and we're selling the majority of those products outside of the state. So that's really what our goal is as a company. What types of honey or honey products do you produce then? I know you mentioned that chocolate really sets them apart from other honey producers. We got out of the beekeeping business um, about 10, 15 years ago. We, we were using too much honey. Uh, we couldn't produce it all. We were already purchasing so much of our honey from uh, from actual producers that it just didn't make any sense. So. What we did was we expanded our product line away from that bottled honey style of production to the, the value-added stuff, so the chocolates. And then we also brought back a line of, uh, of honey spreads, which most, most people know as like uh, creamed honey. When we were producing chocolate, we have to get that honey that's inside of the chocolate. It's the, the piece of chocolate is actually over 60% honey. 
we have to get that honey to crystallize rock hard within two to three days inside of a piece of chocolate. So we got so good at creaming honey that we're like, well, you know, we should expand out into all this other stuff. So we started adding uh, different naturally flavored uh, honey spreads like cinnamon, cinnamon apple, raspberry, lemon, and a lot of these things... Uh, most beekeepers can't do because once you start adding ingredients to honey, you, you need a commercial kitchen. It's not just it's not just pure honey anymore. So we started doing that as like a value added, and we always really stayed away from from liquid honey in the in the store shelves. We we do it a little bit here and there, but that's not what we do. We're not trying to go, you know, we're not trying to buy honey from Jim down the street and then go compete against him on the shelf. Like we're, we're trying to buy honey from him that he's got too much honey. He needs something to do with it. And we're making a value added product that can be sold nationally. Um, so the, the chocolates, the honey spreads, and then also our honey straws. So we're one of two places in the, in the country that, that produce honey straws. And we offer that as a service for, um, for beekeepers, they can send us their honey, and we can process it for them, or we can sell uh, sell them, you know, honey straws produced with pure Wisconsin honey. Can you explain the process of, you know, that honey extraction? It's going from that hive to your final product. Take me through your process behind the scenes of what that looks like. Sure. So we're we're not too involved in the in the uh, in the extraction side, right? So we're bringing in honey generally either in barrels or in totes, totes preferably. So we work with you know our local producers that they they know you know we we use X number of uh, pounds of honey um, on a weekly basis. They you know they love it. They can keep their honey out of barrels, fill the totes. We go back and forth, so we save a lot of you know as far as sustainability. We're not trashing a bunch of barrels because we're you know reusing containers. But anyways, they'll uh, they'll process the honey, they'll extract it, we bring it in, we might run it through like an additional right light uh, straining, and then it goes right into our production. We don't pasteurize it, we don't cook it, we don't really super filter it or anything. Um, so the product that's going into the finished product is, is just pure honey. How have consumer demand changed in what products do you see that people seem to want more? So what we've seen a lot of is, is people want products that are that are real right so like they want real food um so that's where our our chocolates came in because you can you can read the three ingredients and you can pronounce the three ingredients and one of the things that we've really found as well uh, on the honey side is that oftentimes if you're selling honey in a jar to get away from the commodity of the of of just the honey you really need to sell your brand Um, so you really need to make yourself a part of that jar of honey so oftentimes people are when they're buying a jar of honey they're not they're either buying a jar of honey because they you know they just need some honey to sweeten their tea or they're buying honey because they want to feel a part of their local community and they're they're buying a jar and they know that there's somebody down the street that's benefiting from that and oftentimes that's the differentiator between why they would buy you know, a great value brand, let's say from Walmart or the one that looks like it was made by a local person. Even if the prices are dramatically different, people value that. That was Narek Gabrielian, the chief executive officer at Honey Acres. He says that with a commitment to purity, authenticity, and community relationships, Honey Acres can create unique honey-based creations sourced from Wisconsin's rich beekeeping heritage. From the Midwest Farm Report, I'm Charity Seebecker. Innovation. The end of harvest, snow-covered fields, and an early morning sunrise. 
Winter is a good time to evaluate your livestock's health. BioVet loves seeing healthy animals contribute to your farm's profitability. The knowledge and support from our team is here to help you make the difference in the health and productivity on your farm. Help your livestock stay healthy and call 1-800-BioVet1 or visit bio-vet.com. Innovation. Welcome back. I'm Charity Seebecker. Happy to be with you this Thursday morning. Cash corn is trading at 464 and three quarters, down a half. And new crop corn is trading at 498, also down a half. Cash beans are trading at 1275, down two cents. And new crop beans are trading at 1224, down one and a quarter cents. Cash wheat is trading at 599 and a half, down three quarters. And new crop wheat is trading at 621 and a quarter, down three quarters. February class three milk contract is trading at 1560. That's up five cents. Barrel cheese closed yesterday at 141 and a half. 40 pound block cheese closed at 145 and a half and the double a butter had no change and closed at 268 coming up ever ag broker kathleen wolfley is joining us live to kick you off on this thursday morning this is the midwest farm report with pam Youngke. have you ever had an mri through the hospital where you're crunched inside a scary tube-like tunnel mh imaging in middleton provides the spacious comfort of a completely open design mri the most updated concept in MRIs. It's an open MRI, open for everyone, regardless of insurance or doctor affiliation, for a fraction of the cost of a medical system. And the results are available the same day, providing you with answers you need to know now. Visit mhimaging.com. You love your home. It's full of memories from the past and even more memories to be made. When you're ready to spruce it up, contact AF Construction. AF Construction will talk to you about your addition ideas like a relaxing three-season sunroom or expanded living space. AF Construction, your local hands-on remodeling contractor, offering line item estimates and eye-popping results. For your free consultation, visit afconstructionllc.com. Get ready for a remarkable new look. Rural Mutual is the number one farm insurer in Wisconsin for a good reason. As a company founded by farmers, they understand the ag industry and its challenges. Local agents offer farm families the best advice and personalized coverage. Visit RuralMutual.com to find an agent near you. Rural Mutual Insurance, keeping Wisconsin strong. At Berkshire Automotive, we have a non-commissioned sales team, which is a polite way to say we don't really care whether you buy a practical Equinox, the rugged Silverado, or the speedy new Corvette. You've been told no before? Join the Berkshire Automotive family for the yes. At Berkshire Automotive, we teach our people to take no out of the vocabulary. Is no in your vocabulary? Uh, no. No isn't a thing at Berkshire Automotive. Join the Berkshire Automotive family for the yes. Join the Bergstrom. We survived rusty playgrounds, no helmets, and drinking from the hose. This is the Midwest Farm Report. Welcome back. I'm Charity Seebecker, rounding out the farm show with you this Thursday morning. And agriculture broker Kathleen Wolfley with EverEgg is joining us. So Kathleen, I've noticed that the dairy markets are having kind of a mixed start to the year. What are you seeing with this? Well, we are officially on the third day of trading for the new year. And so far, with we've seen one day of higher cheese prices and one day of lower spot cheese prices. Overall, my sense is that the market's probably just looking for some clear direction in this post-holiday, pre-Super Bowl timeframe. 
My sense is generally that from a cheese market perspective overall, that we're in a relatively weak demand position as we start the new year, both from a domestic and an international market perspective. I think I was on last week and we talked quite a bit about demand, but there are certainly concerns from a consumer uh, market here in the, the U.S. as consumers really haven't been going out to restaurants quite as much. Retail sales have been a little choppy. And on, an internet, on the international side of things, our exports have not really been all that stellar. So like we mentioned, it's been a fairly um, a mixed start as we, as we look at the cheese market in particular. One market to keep an eye on, however, and one that we don't really talk about a ton is the dryway market. One thing to keep in pers- into perspective is that a penny move in the dryway market in- influences about six cents in the class three. Whey prices seem to be relatively stable going into 2024. Prices are holding in the 40 cent range, yet we've seen pretty good demand for high protein whey. Uh, and there's certainly potential that if we continue to see good high-protein whey demand and dry whey markets start to tighten up a little bit as potentially we see more solids moving up the value chain into high-protein whey production, that could tighten things up and and give the Class 3 market a little bit of a boost. On the Class 4 side of things, we've seen butter prices holding relatively strong heading out of the holiday season. Uh, maybe a little bit of post-holiday reloading, and in the non-fat dry milk market, no real changes, still quite a bit of choppiness in that 115 to 120-ish range. So let's transition now to global dairy trade auction. Things were also mixed there. So why do you think that is? Yeah, I think that as we look at the the global dairy trade auction, and and that's the New Zealand biweekly auction, we saw a little bit of strength in the butter market and the whole milk powder market, a little bit lighter pricing on skimmer powder and cheese. One thing that we're watching really closely is China. Um, China demand is, was relatively subdued in 2023. Their economy has not been all that stellar. And again, in this auction, we saw fairly quiet activity out of China. Always hard to know, you know are they going to be in one week and, and or in one auction out the next. Um, but in general, it seemed like buyers out of places like the Middle East maybe picked up a little bit of the slack from, from Chinese buyers not being in the mix, which may have been a little bit of helpful, a little bit helpful for uh, some products. But overall, you know, I think that the GDT auction uh, was relatively quiet, not really a, a big mover and shaker, at least to start the year. So now let's take a look at the international milk production. What do you expect to see moving forward as we get into more, excuse me, as we get more into 2024? Yeah, that's a really good question. We talk a lot about U.S. milk production, um, I think, on a weekly basis, but we don't necessarily focus as much on what's happening across the rest of the world. And that's really important because at the end of the day, we're, we're competing for international sales from the likes of Europe and New Zealand as well. From a European perspective, EU milk supplies just finished 2023 relatively sluggish. Um, Germany milk production was down a little bit. French milk production down a little bit. Those are the top one and top two uh producers of milk in the EU. And as we start 2024, the expectation is that we could continue to see relatively lackluster milk production out of the region. Their margins have been pretty crunched. They have uh, more environmental restrictions that could be 
or could ultimately impact some of their, their growth potential here in the new year. Looking at New Zealand, New Zealand is just getting past the, the big flush season that we typically see uh, it toward the tail end of the year. Their production has been mostly flat, uh, maybe a little bit down on a year-over-year basis. For, uh, but overall, New Zealand isn't really making it too much of a splash from a milk supply standpoint. Which kind of brings me to if we're making less milk in the EU, a little less milk in New Zealand, a little less milk here in, in the U.S., we do find ourselves in a little bit more of a vulnerable supply situation as we go into 2024, which I think could squarely land in a, a potentially more bullish um, talking point as we start 2024, if we see demand start to pick back up. And you also mentioned off air when we were talking, when it comes to the dairy margin coverage program, there's not a whole lot new to report yet, right? There's What's kind of on the horizon with that? Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a good point. Um, the Dairy Margin Coverage Program, when we look at it, that pro- program is run by the USDA, the FSA office, is a pretty much a, a no-brainer for dairy producers. Uh, folks have been waiting eagerly for signups for 2024, and we have not heard anything new on potential signups. Um, the most recent information that I've picked up is that it could be a couple weeks yet as USDA works to get signups up and going. Um, and it does sound like those signups will be retroactive to January 1st. Um, so stay tuned. It seems like there's there's good news to come on the dairy margin coverage program side of things, but it may be a few weeks yet. And then is there anything else that farmers should be aware of when it comes to dairy markets moving forward or anything else that's on your radar? You know, I think that the biggest thing that I'm looking at today is this delicate balance between supply and demand not just here in the U.S., but globally. We talked a little bit about international milk production being a little more vulnerable, demand not being all that hot here in the domestic market and internationally. Um, so I think that as we enter 2024, there is this big question mark of what's going to be the thing that's going to tip? Um, are we going to see demand start to increase or will the supply side vulnerability really start to show its, its hand? Um, depending on where we land here in 2024, I think that could really dictate uh, the direction of the markets going forward. Once again, that was agriculture broker Kathleen Wolfley with EverAg. Thanks for joining me on this Thursday morning, and have a great day, everybody. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. This looks like a car. Has tires, headlights, a hood, windshield wipers. The doors look like car doors. Open like them too. There's a front seat, back seat, steering wheel. 99.9% of the time, this would be a car, but it's not. This is a bedroom. Anita Washington's for five weeks. There are people like Anita all across Dane County. And because the need is there, so are we. This year, we'll provide Anita and other women, children, and men